Josh, thanks for joining me today as we get into slime or saints, private equity in the roofing space. How you doing, Josh? Not too bad. Not too bad. How about yourself, Adam? I'm doing well. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna get into how we met quite yet and our, our introduction and how we got to know each other. I want to just introduce why we're talking today. Private equity has is no secret. If you own a roofing company, you've probably received at least one a week at this point is what we're hearing. I know it might not be a week, but we're getting a ton of, of inquiry and injection of private equity money, buying up roofing companies, and there's resistance to sell. There's We're, we're curious, are these good companies? Are these bad companies? Am I going to maintain ownership? Am I going to maintain uh, my own right to make decisions and run my business? Am I getting bought out? So the purpose of this interview is to bring in Josh Sparks, who is in my opinion, one of the the leading experts and with a very proven track record in the private equity space to share your story, Josh, with, with us and demystify this whole world of private equity. So thank you again for being here. Um, let's kick things off. And can you just share with 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 uh, with me your like brief story of who you are, how you got into this roofing business? From flipping, wasn't it flipping burgers or something? Yeah, yeah, well, a few yeah, bucks an hour, exactly. and then to exactly. to what you're doing today, and then I'll let you introduce you and, and your group. Well, thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. I, I wouldn't say let me lead off by saying I wouldn't say that I am the expert in all things private equity. I, I'm a roofer through and through. A little background on myself: I, I grew up in the Bay Area, uh, Oakland, California, San Jose, Vallejo area. Had kind of a tough childhood, you know. My mom. Was addicted to heroin. She actually went to prison when I was 10 years old. Didn't really know my dad very well. I uh, ended up moving around a lot as a kid. In fact, I went to uh, went to 17 different schools. Eventually ended up in Milwaukee. And like you said, put them burgers at McDonald's. And um, a friend of mine offered me a job roofing. You know, I had no idea what roofing was all about. But, you know, I was making four bucks an hour. And he told me I was going to make nine cash. And I said, there's no way people make nine bucks an hour. Like, this is insane. And I, I actually secretly thought to myself, I'm not retire as a millionaire. I'm like, my God, I'll make a lot of money here. But um, I found out day one exactly why I make nine bucks an hour roofing. It's incredibly hard work on your body, you know, but anybody, any of the roofers listening know that. But I was a young strapping kid, so, you know, it didn't bother me too much. In fact, you know, after a couple of weeks, I actually began to fall in love with it. I, I I love working my hands. I love getting up early, being outside. So over the course of that summer, I learned everything I possibly could about the roofing business. And being an ambitious young man, I decided I want to start my own company. So I went down to Kinko's and I printed out some flyers. I, I handed those flyers out in my neighborhood. I, one single human being found my ad compelling enough, as awful as they were, called me. Uh, I, I sold that roof and thus began Infinity Exteriors. This is back, uh, back in 1997. Now, I was young and dumb and had no idea what I was doing. So the next five years were quite full of adventure. Started with a three-month stint in college. Took me that long to realize I didn't want to be an engineer. I ended up uh, joining the Marine Corps as a reservist. I did basic training in weapons company in Camp Pendleton and then headed back to Milwaukee to serve um, my reserve duty. And that's where I picked up a job subcontracting as a roofer. And, uh, you know, I love my life and it was going, things were going great um, until 2005 and until I met a very sweet old lady named Betty. I found out, I won't tell the whole story, but I found out after doing this through for her that I was working for a predatory contractor. I was a sub. I, I didn't realize that this contractor absolutely ripped off this, this elderly lady. She was in her 80s. Her husband was a, a Marine, so we had a lot of good conversations. 
and it just bothered me. And um, I, I told my I called my wife that day and I said, I just, I, I'm not doing this anymore. I quit that job and I put every single penny that I had into a full page yellow page ad. And um, that was 2005. That was the first year I did a million dollars in revenue. Over the course of the next 15 years, with the help of a lot of great people, you know, some innovative technology, good strength, uh, strong branding and marketing, and most importantly, good culture. You know, we grew that Milwaukee business, the annual revenue of about 40 million, and we're you know, slowly but surely ridding the Milwaukee community of, of my vision statement, which is to rid the world of unscrupulous contractors, right? We're yeah, so that, that deserves a round of applause, by the way. That's yeah. when we really connected, but continue. There's so many, so many bad contractors out there. There's a lot of good ones. There's a lot of bad ones too. But yeah, so that was my mission to rid the world of unscrupulous contractors. And then just like, like you were saying earlier, you know, I got, I was getting pained. I mean, every single day by these buy side brokers that wanted me to sell my business. And I, I had no intention of selling infinity at all. I didn't want some financial engineer to come in and tell me what I should be charging my customers, how I should be treating my people or in any way adversely affect my culture. So I, I basically turned them all down. And then um, a guy that I know in the industry uh, named Paul Collins, uh, Overhead Solutions is a company in Green Bay. He ran a great roofing company. And Paul is, he's just a salt of the earth guy. And he called me and said, hey, Josh, I talked to this North Branch Capital folks out of Chicago. They're just fantastic. You've got to be able to follow them. I want to, I want to partner with them. But we, you know, we need some more folks to, to join. And I said, all right, Paul, I'll get on the phone. And I got on the phone, North Branch Capital, and they're they're incredibly, um, they're humble people. They are super down to earth. I really liked what they had done. They performed really well in the past. They put a nice LOI on my desk for a bunch of money, but I, I wasn't inclined to take it. And um, then I talked to my wife, who's much smarter than I am. My wife says, Josh, this isn't about money. This is about your vision statement of reading the world of unscrupulous contractors. And it should only come down to one question. You have a higher probability of doing that with or without North Branch. And of course, I couldn't do it on my own. So I partnered with North Branch Capital September 8th, 2021, with the idea of what we had taken, or taking what we've done so well in Milwaukee and kind of promulgating that, you know, through organic growth across the rest of the country and also through partnering with other like-minded business folks. And um, we put a five-year goal together of a, about $120 million in revenue, a strong EBITDA, and partnering with a small handful of companies. I'm happy to say we, we hit that goal not in five years, but like eight months. <laughs> So we, we slowly outgrew, um, or quickly outgrew, I should say, North Branch Capital. And then we had to go out to market to uh, find a lar little larger private equity partner that could help su support our growth. And so, yeah, that's that's kind of, um, you know, the story of, of where I came from, what we're doing, and, and um, you know, where we're at right now. Yeah. So the name of your, your group, can you share that with us? Yeah, it's called Infinity Home Services, IHS. IHS for short, and, and Josh to fill in the in the in the gap for folks who are who are new to this. Um, LOI is letter of intent to to acquire Josh's business, and um, just so everyone is clear on that. And Josh, when you and I met, we met at the Owens Corning Platinum Conference, and I remember you were you were very skeptical of me because you you had said one thing. I'm going to take us off course from my my questions I was going to hit today, but can you repeat that quote that you share with me about why you had never gone to any conference? You built a forty million dollar year business. You never went to any events or anything. What was that quote? You said you had a poster in your office. Yeah, the, the quote is work hard in silence and let your success be the noise. Work hard in silence and let your success be the noise. I love that. So you didn't know anything about me. I didn't know anything about you. I when I when you and I had lunch, I was like private equity people. I just kind of had my guard up. You had your guard up. You shared your mission 
and your vision of ridding the world of unscrupulous contractors. And the next time we talked, I remembered it word for word. And I was like, that's a mission that I can get behind. Um, you had actually acquired a, a client of mine who's incredibly, incredibly happy with the entire process. I'm actually meeting tomorrow to talk about other ways to be able to support. And, and there was just a lot of synergy, which is why we're here today, is my people know that I'm very, very, very protective of who I bring in into our world. So I appreciate you being here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna drill you with some questions, Josh. And you can go as shallow or as deep as you want, but I want to start with the PE landscape and roofing. Why now? Why is this PE for First, I think we should take a step back and, and not assume that everyone understands PE. PE is private equity, so private money coming into roofing. Now, why is this all coming into roofing right now? You know, best guessing that there's like, believe it or not, there's like $11 trillion in private equity right now, which are alternative investments. About $3 trillion of that, trillion with a T, excuse me, is, um, is considered dry powder, which is basically, you know, money sitting on the sideline that hasn't been deployed yet. You know, private equity space, you know, they love the, the home services space and they got into it quite a few years ago. I think it started with commercial landscaping, just based on waterproofing. But as of late, you know, a lot of PE firms have had success in the HVAC plumbing space. And so the next logical place uh, to jump would be, you know, on the roof. And, you know, roofing is a highly fragmented market there. I think it's estimated about 50,000 active roofing contractors. So in a highly fragmented market, private equity loves consolidation, especially in markets where manufacturing and distribution is consolidated already, because typically what happens is that when you get a consolidation like manufacturing distribution, they're going to have a little bit more controls or a lot more controls on pricing and on product allocation, things like that. So it basically the space is really just right pickings for, for PE. So yeah. uh, that's, why, that's why they're in it now. Yeah. And with the economy as unstable as it is, this is a really great place to dump money into an essential service that every roof in the, in, in the, U, I mean, we'll talk the U S market. This includes Canada. This includes, I'd say everywhere. There's a roof. Mm -hmm. It's going to need to get done at some point. So now with this, when you and I met, I know that there's different camps. When I, when I, when I titled this episode, slime or saint, there's, there's folks that are interested in this and want for one reason, which is money and growth. And it's just all I care about is dollars and cents. And then there's a different angle that like you shared is like a truly a portfolio of companies aligned around a strategy as in your words, to rid the world of unscrupulous contractors. So can you paint the picture? And I, I don't want to put words in your mouth. So if you don't agree with it, you, you don't have to, to speak to that, but the good versus evil, so to speak in the PE moves into our space. Like, how would you define like a more ethically driven, ethically sound PE firm versus one on the other end of the spectrum? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't use good versus evil. I'd probably use ethical versus unethical. I mean, look, in, in any business that's for profit, there are going to be certain people out there who just don't don't act in a um in a, in, in a in a good fashion, I guess I would say. Mm -hmm. But uh, you know, private equity businesses, you know, are in business to make money, make no doubt, you know, mistake about it, you know, and how they do that is they raise capital from wealthy individuals and institutional investors. And, you know, they promise a, a healthy return. They, they promise a return better than what you can get in the public markets. And um, there's ways to make money, as we all know. And so, I, you know, if I break it down into ethical and, and maybe unethical in, in some you know capacity, I would say that the, the unethical ones really going to try to boost returns by 
you know, cutting sal all the things you, the bad things you hear about private equity, cutting salaries, cutting workforce, reducing innovation, reducing investment, long-term investments, which are going to create a, a very nice short-term bump in, in EBITDA or profit, if you will. But, the, but that's going to be detrimental to the long-term success of the, the organization. You know, some companies will, will over-leverage businesses or apply too much debt, um, which basically means, you know, when, when they buy businesses, they don't pay cash for them. Most of them, they, 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 they get a loan out. The percentage of your the loan to what cash they put in the business is your leverage, roughly. It, not so many words, but and um, if you over leverage your business or you put too much debt on a business and your and your cash flow can't pay the debt, then you tank the business, and that's exactly what happened to Toys R Us. So you had a, you had a very good brand, very good business, and it got tanked because there was too much debt on the business. Mm -hmm. um, you know, going down the unscrupulous path, I would say that there's also some a tactic in private equity called retrading which in the roofing space, it's called bait and switch. I'm sure everybody knows it. It's like you sell a job a little less than you should have and not, not the good companies, the bad ones. And then they, they slap the homeowner with a bunch of change orders or they swap out products without the homeowner knowing. That's really terrible um, you know, business ethics. But the, the private equity world does it too. They do it in the, in, in the, name, in the term of retrading. And basically what that is, is they, they send out a bunch of LOIs to companies and not, without doing any real work. And they just LOI to LOI. And they start doing diligence on this, on these companies. They get them all fat and happy. They get these contractors saying they're going to sell their business for millions of dollars. And then right at the very end, they go, ah, you know, there's this little thing I didn't like about your business. So I need to make a last minute price adjustment. And uh, that happens. You know, you, you got 100,000 or 150,000 in lawyer fees. You're getting ready to get this big check. And it happens, and it happens more often than than it should, in in my opinion. Um, what else can I say? Maybe just being not not being truthful in messaging. You know, there's I, I've heard some private equity firms, some some chatter out there. You know, like a, a one million EBITDA business that's going to be a platform. I mean, that's not true. I, I, I've seen Facebook ads buy your business for a hundred million dollars. It's like, come like come on, like. Yeah. Um, so what's happening in our space is, is really uh, what we're witnessing is a, a roll-up or a buy and build strategy. So it's a strategy that involves um, you know, acquiring a bunch of smaller roofing companies, merging them under a larger umbrella, typically a platform, 20, 30, $40 million business that has a good leadership team, maybe good technology, some strong things. You know, And in, in, in the realm of private equity, there's a, there's a thing called, um, that's a concept called multiple arbitrage, which I don't want to get too deep, but it essentially means that the combined value of the entities is greater than the sum of the individual values. So a, an unscrupulous private equity company will come in and buy a bunch of random businesses you know, and pay them a certain value, park them underneath this one umbrella, and then sell off that umbrella for a higher value than combined, kind of like a mortgage-backed security, something like that. You know, like, And um, so, yeah, that, that happens. But... You know, from an ethical standpoint, there's there's a lot of good there's a lot of good private equity companies out there. Um, they're going to be transparent with their end goals. They're going to tell you exactly, you know, what they're looking for and what their goals are. They're going to have a a focused long term. Uh, they're going to excuse me. They're going to be focused on long term value creation rather than short term gain. Um, they're going to have, you know, a deliberate hyper focused strategy. If the private equity firm is asking you what the strategy is. Uh, unless you're the platform, I mean, that, that's pro probably an issue. I would say um, going on the ethical line again is, you know, just having a, a history of creating long-term value, not just for their shareholders, 
but for the businesses that they've been a part of and not just when they held the business. So you got to think about that. Like you can, my, my friend likes to say, squeeze water out of a rock, right? A private equity company could take, squeeze as much profitability out of that and then throw that rock off a cliff to the next PE firm. And you, you just did not set that company up well. Yeah. And that's one, and maybe a personal plug. That's why I love our, our firm's, um, you know, Light Bay Capital and Freeman Spogley. I mean, Freeman Spogley has, has touched brands, uh, been invested in brands that just, they're household names. I mean, Mattress Firm, Floor and Decor, Batteries Plus, Popeye's Chicken, Advanced Auto Parts, names that we all know. These businesses did extremely well under their tutelage, but also long after they left. And so that, that's kind of what you look for in a private equity if you care about the long-term value of your business, long-term, yeah, where your business will be long-term. Gotcha. And that's, you, you touched on something that I'd love to go deeper is what these private equity firms are looking for. So if you were to describe like an ideal company, I want to get at the end specific to what IHS, what you're looking for, but in general, what are private equity form, excuse me, private equity companies looking for when it comes to acquiring a business? Yeah, that's a good question, um, Adam. And I'd really say it just, it really depends on the firm. There's a lot, a lot of different private equity firms that have different goals, but I mean, the better firms, I would say, uh, all the firms really are going to be looking for strong cash flow. They're going to be looking for good leaders, uh, leaders that have technical competency, that have good leadership skills, um, that have you know a long-term sustained growth in both revenue and EBITDA, which EBITDA is basically a proxy for cash flow or, or net profit roughly. So, Can you explain uh, EBITDA to those who are unfamiliar? It's uh, interest before earnings, tax, depreciation, and amortization. It's basically net profit. Uh, at the end of the day, at adding back some, you know, interest payments that you'd have on, on lines of credit and depreciation on assets that you have and a few things like that. So um, that's roughly what it is. And then there's, there's a lot, it, it gets very nuanced. There's things called addbacks, which, um, which are non-reoccurring expenses that you can to get credit for. So there's, there's a whole lot of uh, nuance there, but it's, it's roughly a, a proxy for, for profitability. Gotcha. And there's generally, and I, I sh that, I, that's probably not a fair statement. I've talked to a few folks uh, in the PE space who are doing similar things as IHS with very different search criteria, very, very different search criteria. And, and most of them are looking for uh, in EBITDA, earnings before interest taxes and amortization of a certain dollar amount of a million minimum. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are people that are willing to acquire companies for less, but would you say that that's kind of the starting threshold for a, a financially healthy established business that would be in a, in a good position to, to sell? I would say that's probably so, somewhere in that ballpark, I think is where, where you're going to start in, uh, creating interest. I mean, let's, let's face it for the roofers on the call, you know, you can run a, you can run a $5 million top line revenue business with a million dollars EBITDA with, with three or four people. In yeah. our in our business, and and if if you think that business is worth six or seven million dollars, you probably it's that's probably going to be a tough cookie to crack for a lot of folks because mm -hmm. the 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 liability, the risk that 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 private equity firm would have or the platform business would have on on if you leave, you basically everything goes away. So yeah, yeah, yeah. and and realistically, from what I've been hearing, general ballpark range is about four to six times EBITDA. Again, variable by a PE firm. We've seen some historically. I know there's been a few that were like way higher valuations, but for the for the everyday 
folks, because this this financial jargon is overwhelming. I just got out actually talked with a, a client of mine who said, I just got an offer and he told me the number. And I was like, that sounds like you're grossly overvalued. And, and when you'd share with me that strategy of, of the like bait and switch, like here's this amount and then we may find these things. But I said, hey, what's your EBITDA? And he said, what's, what's EBITDA? And again, this financial stuff is, it can be overwhelming. It's new uncharted territory for many, uh, for many people. And we're looking at four to six times earning, let's just say a, a business that's doing a million a year in EBITDA. Uh, simple terms, net profit, they're looking at four to 6 million to, to sell for. And I would be shocked if they got the, the, the higher amounts, because on a smaller business, your, your, um, multiple, uh, is going to be a little lower. Is that, is that a safe overgeneralization just to scratch the edge of people who are curious about this stuff? I would, I would say that's a, yes, that is a very safe overgeneralization. You'd be making Two three million in EBITDA, you probably you could probably get you're higher than six. But there's a any good uh, private equity company is going to have a you know an investment thesis. They're going to have a scorecard. You know, so we look at things like how good is their management team? You know, how how likely are they to grow? What is their MSA? What market are they in? Um, things like that. You know, how, how good is their second in command? Their third in command? Fourth in command? How well will they they synergize with the platform? Will, will they be good partners? You know, because we look for we look for good partners. So there's a lot of criteria that go in the, in that range where, where you you think about what what a, what, a, what you'd make, but and also stability, long term stability. If you see a company going from and again this this range is depending on the type of um, end consumer. So if you're an insurance pay business versus a retail business, you know commercial it's different. But most companies like historical you know steady historical growth. Um, for, for their for their investors, right? They don't want to. That see makes this, sense. This Your best year followed by red red carpet. You know, like that's that's scary because it's like, did you buy yeah. it at the top? Did you buy it at the top? You know, who knows? So it creates yeah. that that creates a difficult scenario when you're an investment committee to figure out what to value a business at. Yeah. So that that creates some. Um, a little bit of difficulty there, but absolutely. And and since we can't overgeneralize, what I've done beneath this uh, video or this podcast episode, there's a link. If you're interested in in getting a valuation of your business, and if you're interested to sell, and you want to be connected with some good folks, I've got some good folks that I can happily pass along an intro. So fill out the form uh, below. It will ask. So be prepared for for some real questions because we need to know some information. And and the reason that I say that, I'll be just connecting folks that like, I know what IHS is looking for, uh, which we'll, we'll touch on. And I'm not going to say, Hey, you should get a valuation from IHS if you're in the complete opposite spectrum. And there's other folks that are also good people looking for the opposite things because portfolios are in different, maybe have different strategies. So if you're interested, you can fill out the form below. I'll be happy to, to connect you guys and, and, and then let you one, determine if it's a good fit to get a realistic valuation based on your infrastructure, your sales. And, uh, at the end of the day, everyone needs to be happy. So there's some info below, but Josh, moving on, what, if you were to sit there as a consultant to a roofing company, like if you were to give yourself advice before this happened, I want you to, 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 to be the advisor and say, what should you look for in a PE firm? If you're considering selling? Yeah, that's, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and I had to consult myself back in the day to figure this out, what maybe almost two years ago now, but Look, I, I would um, I would specifically ask with with high specificity, you know, how is your how is the PE firm or the platform company associated going to help your business, your customers, your team? What do they have in place currently? Do they have technology? Do they have supply chain deals? Do they have learning and development programs? 
you know, all these things, ask specific questions, not money, money is money, right? You're like you'll, you'll get the valuation you need. You need to ask the questions that what's going to happen to your company. So do they have a hyper-focused strategy? And does that strategy line up with your long-term goals? Like, it, like, are they going in the same direction you're going? Yeah. Um, you know, specifically about PE, Adam, I would say, you know, do they have committed capital? Uh, are they a cash buyer? Um, we all know, you know, kind of the horror story of RBI. It's, it's um, don't do seller finance. You know, there, there's, there's small firms out there that are saying, hey, you know, we'll buy you, but you got to finance it back. Don't do seller finance. There's no need to in our space right now. So find a cash buyer, find a, you know, a cash-free, debt-free deal is kind of what the, the typical structure in this space is. Yeah. Um, I would also ask if they have a real corporate team and, and is their experience in the industry? I mean, is the company run by, um, you know, a bunch of Harvard graduates, which is obviously nothing wrong if you haven't gone to Harvard, you know, but these typically <laughs> we're roofers. Are, yeah, they're not, they're not entrepreneurs. They're certainly not roofers. They're not like you and I, you know, would be. And I do strongly believe, and so does our, so does our private, so does sort of my private equity firm. I mean, I'm a roofer through and through. I did not go to college and, and I'm, I'm, I'm helming a $250 million business right now, but they believe that there's, there's insight that could be had in the industry that should be had that, that, um, you know, that I, that I, that I know roughly what I'm doing to make sure that uh, our brand presidents or our, our GMs, our, our, our companies that come on really get a lot of value from what we're, what, what we're providing. Yeah. And Josh, when you and I started talking, uh, I remember we went out to lunch at Platinum. There were there was guards up on both ends. We we I, we kind of I remember leaving this. I'm like, just if if you want to get a, a a taste of who I am, go watch some of my videos. You'll know right away whether you love me or you hate me. And we ended up sitting out by the little fire ring there in Scottsdale, chatting. And it was it was one of the highlights of the, of the trip is just connecting with, with people that are doing good work because I'd left the business from being burned. I had a bad taste in my mouth. I thought all roofers were, were con artists because I went through stories for another day, just all the same stuff we've all gone through, right? And when we connected, I, was, I, was, I just felt this synergy there. And, and this is still newer for me, this, this world that you're in. And I learned a lot from our conversation. I learned a lot from you. I learned a lot from talking to companies that you've acquired. Some are, you know, or one of them was uh, a, a client of mine still is really good people. And as I begin hearing from, from other roofers, one of the questions they have the same one I had is like, how are these deals structured? What's the benefit to me as the contractor? And then the, and then the, the, I, I, we're not going to go too, too deep because I know it's super personal for, per, per PE firm, per, per strategy, but High level, the questions that I get are, if they buy my business, am I out or am I still running it? If they buy my business, how much are they buying? And the third one is the biggest one. Do I still have control? Because that is the number one thing that people say, I'm not going to be listening to some corporate dude in a suit who's going to tell me to do this, this, and this. So those are like the three big things. Like, how yeah. much do you buy? What's the, what's, what's the big benefit to me? And then if they are retained in the business, what does that relationship look like? Those are all good questions. So I guess, you know, in, in reverse order, you, you do lose control. I mean, there's just, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Private equity, when they invest a big amount of money, when they write you a big check, you no longer have control of, the, of your asset. You, you sold it, essentially. Deals are structured, cash-free, debt-free. Most deals you're going to see the company buy. So unless you're a platform, you're a big business, and they're buying a partial, a piece of your business, typically they buy 100% of the business. 
Um, and then every PE firm varies. So there's some firms that like to buy 100% and then just keep you on as like a GM and pay you to be a GM and share profits, but they own all the equity, you get none. There's other firms like IHS, we won't buy companies 100%. We, we, let me rephrase that. We buy 100%, but a portion of that proceeds goes back into IHS. So every all the 11 companies we partner with all own IHS. They all own Class A shares. They own the same stock that I do. And so we're generally business partners across the, across the platform. So this, is, this lends to like, it is incredibly important that you know who you're getting in bed with. Because when you partner with a private equity firm, you know, ostensibly you do lose control. And so it's important that you believe in the people that are running the business uh, from a corporate team and you believe in the strategy they have. And that's why I would just, just touch you back on, you know, who to partner with is like, talk to their CEO. Like, if you want to call me, I'll, I'll get on a call with you. Talk to their whole C-suite team. Talk to the other brand owners. You know, we have 11 companies in our platform right now. Some joined almost 18 months ago. Some joined two weeks ago. You can get a peek behind the curtains. Talk to the brand president. Say, hey, how, how's your team doing now? Did they really bring value to the long term, you know, to your business? You know, was it disruptive at all? Did they fire your people? You can look at, you should not only talk to the person trying to buy your business, but everybody involved in that. And if they don't open, if they don't open that uh, level of information to you, I would not, I would not even come close yeah. to thinking about partnering with them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then in terms of of uh, autonomy, if the owner is now selling the business. Can you share with me? They're now an employee of the business. Should they wish to stay yeah. on board? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So, so the, the most value you're going to get from your business is if you stay on long term, without a doubt. If you sell, well, here's the keys, and you're done. You know, you, you'll you'll get companies to buy you, but there's just an inherent risk with that because our businesses are they're people businesses. These are human capital yeah. businesses. And look, I've got folks that work for me for over 20 years, and like if I leave. You know what is it? What's the relationship like with the next person who comes in? It's 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 you just don't know. So yeah, there's there's a lot of risk if you're doing that. So um, I forgot the question. I, mean, I got no. I that that's all good. So <laughs> the, if they if if someone is selling their business, oh. they should know that they will likely for this proper deal structure for the highest valuation stay on board. They'll be an employee. They'll receive a salary. Of course, there's benefits in, in yes. perks to add more, but you're exchanging and please correct me if I'm wrong. They're basically saying, Hey, I'm, I'm going to take some chips off the table, rake in a whole bunch of money. And then I'm going to stay on board with the right strategy with people who I align with to be able to continue working with them as partners. I'm going to take a percentage of my sale, reinvest it into the entire strategy fund, knowing that my long game is I've taken chips off now. I'm making enough money to hopefully should, unless you're like living this crazy lavish lifestyle, sustain the lifestyle that you're living. Yeah. Invest all this this large sum, have it in your bank if you want cash. And then in the long game, as the fund or strategy continues to grow, there's some liquidity events that you can cash out even bigger later. So you get a, yeah. a big win now, sustain the life, huge win on the upside in, in the future. Am I understanding that appropriately or did I just fictionalize this whole process? You, you said it very well. What I would say is level of centralization. This is why you, know, you got to ask very, very pointed questions. The level of centralization Mm -hmm. that 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 platinum company wants to do versus the level of autonomy that that's really really important like what are you going to centralize are you going to centralize yeah. it's going to be national purchasing you know is it going to be lead gen is that going to be centralized what what level of autonomy at the brand level are we going to give your folks and i can tell you for us at ihs talk you know talk to our folks like they they run good businesses they're good entrepreneurs that's why we partner with them in the first place 
So why would we ever go in there? Again, I'm a roofer. Why would I ever go in there and tell them, hey, you now have to do the, you know, X, Y, and Z, you know, this totally antithetical to growing a strong business or just because I say that that's how it has to be. I don't come from corporate America. I, I grew a $50 million location, you know, single location. So I understand the different epochs, the evolutions of a, of a residential roofing business. I know what it takes to be a $10 million company. I know what it takes to be a 40. Our goal as a corporate team is to have centralized resources to help our partners grow their businesses more successfully and provide support, not to tell them what to do. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's it's not big. the same for me. You know, that's not the same for every private equity company. The other ones are going to rebrand your name. They're going to have a specific way and then they want the business to be operated. And then and, and you have to kind of get lockstep with that. And, and they should be totally transparent with that up front. But I can say, you know, some aren't. Yeah. And that's the, there's so many, there's so many stories, both positive and on the other side through surprises after the process. Right. So yeah. this, this would be a great time for you to share with, with us, like what, what are the biggest, well, two part question. And I'll repeat it. If you, if you get down the rabbit hole, don't you worry. <laughs> what is IHS looking for? And what is, I mean, when you share with me what a IHS provides to the brands that are working with you, I was like, I was like, I remember I turned to you, I'm like, you guys looking for a training company? <laughs> <laughs> so go ahead and lay it out there. Just share with us what you're looking for and, and some of the, the, the what you'd say is the biggest benefits behind your strategy. Uh, I would just start by saying we're looking for great people. We're looking for great people with strong cultures. You know, so um, we're looking at people that want to stay involved. That's where IHS is maybe a little bit different than a lot of platforms. We're not looking to buy your company out. You know, and, and you said sailing, unless you have a really strong second um, person in command who's been with you a long time. Yeah. But we want people who care about their customers. They want to jump on our vision statement, which is to rid the world of unscrupulous contractors. They want to take their business from wherever they are now, whether it be 10 million, 15 million, and grow that business to $50 million. You know, that that's who we want to partner. We want to partner with just, just good, genuine, salt of the earth, you know, guys and gals. Like that, that's who we want to partner with them. We do have a focused strategy. It's hyper-focused on, you know, residential retail roofing, you know, limited exposure to storms and new construction. Uh, we like that space. It's a space that, that, that we've been in um, since the creation of our business and all of our businesses kind of fall lockstep there. Um, yeah, so to the extent you fit that criteria, you know, and, and, and you want to jump on the train of bringing the world of these unscrupulous contractors, I mean, we'd, we'd love to hop on a call and talk with you and, the cool thing about it is that, you know, you sign an NDA and, and uh, so we don't share information. You go back and forth, you learn a little bit, you learn what your business is worth today and you take it for what it is. If it's something that's interesting to you, we, you know, we maybe go down that, you know, you said rabbit hole a couple of times, we, we go down a little deeper. If not, hey, at least you, you learn a little something about the space and you now, now you're a little more educated after the fact. Yeah. If I give you a 30 second pitch on why I think IHS is the best, because I do, I'm not biased. <laughs> maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little you, you should be biased <laughs> <laughs> for us i mean we've got you know you get access to uh you know some unbelievable resources you know we have a fully functional hr department which is which is always a pain point for a lot of us entrepreneurs you know not sure whether it's compliance or recruiting talent management all that stuff you know our, our um chro which is chief human resources officer was a former global officer for Patron Liquor, believe it or not, 4,500 employees she managed. Wow. She's incredibly sharp and she would take over and basically essentially help with all your recruiting efforts and making sure that 
um, you know, you had a team you needed to, to sustain the growth. Uh, we have a C, we have a chief marketing officer, which you'd have access to. She she was um, on the leadership team of an, uh, over a billion dollar home services business. She just came over to us because she wasn't super excited about uh, the culture in her last operation. You get the upside. This is a really important thing. You know, we we don't buy companies out 100%, or should I say, we, we don't let companies sell 100%. People have to reinvest back into IHS because we want partners. I don't want people just selling their, selling their businesses. And, and getting that partnership, you get the upside equity of the growth of our platform long-term. We're one of the fastest growing, you know, residential roofing companies in the country right now. When you partner with us, you're an equity holder and you get the upside equity. Uh, so it's a, it's a really nice... A really nice piece. And um, I would say also from a human capital side, one thing that was always frustrating me over the years, and maybe it is part of my my saying, you know, work hard and silence, let the success be the noise. But a lot of good business owners, they're always at the peak. You know, when you hit 10 million, it's the first time at 10 million. When you hit 20, it was your first time at 20. And I like to akin it to, you know, you're, you're helming a ship, you're helming a ship in the, in the Arctic and there's icebergs out there and you got a dim light. You got this machine that's cranking out cash, you're making money, things are going well, but you can't go very fast because you just don't know what's out there. And partnering with, you know, an IH, us, you know, we brighten that light. Like I, I know what the operational challenges are of a $40 million business. I know what they are. I've, I've been there. I've, I've been in that seat before. So it's really neat that you can reach across the country, across the aisle, talk to other brand presidents who who have been in your shoes before and just get advice like hey i'm struggling with this employee i'm struggling with marketing i'm struggling with this it's uh it's not all coming from corporate it's coming from collaboration which i think is just it's just awesome yeah i love it josh thank you for all of that and for anyone listening if you're wondering what is the value of my business am i in a position to sell and who would be a good partner fill out the form below uh, i'll ask you some questions do spend expect to spend a few moments on there and if you're a good fit to to chat with josh um, we'll set up an intro. If you're a good fit for, for someone else, I've got some good people I can introduce you to. And I want everyone just to explore, learn. And you, you'll either say, hey, this is a great fit and I should do something. Or on the other side, you're going to say, hey, selling's not for me. That's also good. And then the other option is maybe you say, hey, now is not the right time, but you're going to know exactly what you need to do to build your business to be ready to grow. If you're like, hey, I really love this group. These guys were great, but but I don't meet, meet this criteria, but maybe in a year you would. And I think it's really important if it's even on your on your mind to, to know what you're after, to have a clear vision of what needs to happen for that bigger exit or exit phase one, right? Because I know that folks are generally still involved. So again, that forms below. Josh, thank you for joining me on, this was, you said your first podcast. Yeah, first podcast. You had, me guy, you had me fooled. I loved it. I'm like, dude, it's just a conversation that happens to be recorded. And yeah. I, I love it. I really appreciate you being here. And I'm just really grateful that we met. Um, I, I'm excited to see good people around you. I'm excited to see you so dedicated to helping rebuild the reputation of roofers. And what I didn't share with you at the beginning and since we've talked is when, when you told me that your vision was to rid the world of unscrupulous contractors, it helped me start to think bigger. And when I say, you, you I believe I've seen this on my videos, and my mission statement is to help roofers smash their income goal and give every customer an amazing experience. And I went back and I started sharpening like, well, what's my why? And my why has been inspired by what you shared with me, which is to create a joyous experience in the home for everybody. 
That's my real vision. I want homeowners to have an experience in the home when they're going through a roof replacement, which is usually not a fun and exciting process, whether it's retail or storm, and make it joyous, where they say that person in the home was respectful, they liked me, the company did a great job. And to be able to create that experience in the home was like the fuel that I was like, the aha moment. So I just want to say thank you for giving me that, like that inspiration to tap deeper into my why, because I've been like even more invigorated than ever. I'm refilming my entire training program. Uh, I've, I'm injecting more of this stuff. I'm refining things. So you you kind of relit my fire through that thinking bigger. So I didn't share that with you before, but thanks a bunch, man. I appreciate it. Of course, man. I love it. It was awesome. Yeah. Josh, any closing comments for anybody? Anything you want to say at all? No, I appreciate you having me on, Adam. I, I think, uh, you know, our, our industry is evolving and it's evolving extremely rapidly. I think this is a yeah. really cool time for roofing companies never before have you got an opportunity to sell your business and and you know you know make make some money and really help your team so um i think this is a hopefully this is somewhat informative yeah. and um it's going to be it's a big decision <laughs> i mean it's a huge decision to do it yeah and so certainly not something you want to you want to take lightly and talk to a few folks and, and again peek behind the curtains and make sure you know what you're getting into because it's not just you guys you know you you know and i know that when we built these businesses over the years, it's not just yourself, it's your entire team. And, and you just don't want to let your team, um, you don't want to throw them to the wolves and some, you know, for, for, for money. Cause I don't, I don't think anybody really wants to do that. So. No, they don't. I have one surprise question for you. That yeah. wasn't on the list that I shared with you before. If you were to give yourself advice when you were at $5 million to say, if you do this, this is the most important thing to go from 5 million to 40 or 50 million. What advice would you have given yourself? Yeah, read more. Yeah, read more. I'm a, I'm a big, uh, I read a lot now. Um, you know, a lot of John Maxwell, he's in the five levels of leadership, 21 irrefutable laws of leadership. Jim Collins wrote a book called The Flywheel, The Great Game of Business. There's nothing I could have done at 5 million. To, to, the trajectory that I was on was because I got up every morning at 4.30, I went into the office, I solved problems, I, I took care of people, I took care of my customers, like a lot of guys are doing out there these days. And it's, it's this giant mechanical flywheel that you just push every day. And some days you push a little harder than other days and you get a little bit more, more, more momentum. But if you do the right thing every day and you make little small wins every day and you continue to improve yourself, both personally and professionally, you're going to be a winner. You, you're going to go out there, you're going to get stuff done and you're going to be in a position to, to uh, sell your business for, for a whole lot of money and, and help a lot of people out. That's beautiful. I got nothing to add other than read more yeah. books. I love it. <laughs> Keep it up. Yeah. Well, awesome, Josh. man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks again. Okay. Take care. As we come to a close, I just wanted to wrap up with a personal message, a quick ask and an invitation. First, I just want to say thank you so much for spending your very valuable time with me today, whether you were driving between appointments, working out, or doing some chores like the dishes in the house. And if you've found any value in this episode or any others, if you've experienced personal sales breakthroughs or been able to give customers an even better experience on your journey to smashing your income goal, then I ask, would you please write me a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to right now? It'd mean the world to me, and thank you so much. 
Now for the invitation. If you're an owner or a manager or a sales rep who's currently not satisfied with the sales training platform that you're using, maybe you don't really have a formal training for yourself or for your team and you're looking for that place to turn that might align with the values and have the team already bought in, then I'd love to invite you to learn more about how I might be able to help. Just the same way I've helped many, many thousands of folks just like you solve the very same sales problems that you're likely facing right now. And this platform is currently being used in every single state in the US by many, 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 many thousands from tiny companies that are just getting started to quite a few of the largest roofing companies in America. And it's one of the reasons that I've been selected as Owens Corning's official sales training partner. Now inside this program, you're going to learn how to self-generate more leads without having to spend more money on marketing or rely on your company if you're a sales rep and learn how to overcome objections right there on the spot like that without the cat getting your tongue or getting caught on your heels. And you'll be using a system to be closing sales in the house confidently without coming across as salesy and without winging it in the house. And the system is lightning fast and I put my money where my mouth is and I back it up with a 30 day money back guarantee. So if you're not satisfied, I'll buy it back from you. And it is a one time only investment. We don't rope you into monthly fees or annual fees buying the same stuff over and over again. Now, if any of that interests you, the best next step would be to get a demo. And that way you can see and decide for yourself if it's even worth it. And to do that is super easy. You can just text the word demo, D-E-M-O, to 303-222-7133. That's demo to 303-222-7133. Can't wait to tour you around, and thank you again for joining me on this episode, and I can't wait to tune in with you on the next one.